Hello, hello guys! I'm Rui, and this is... Macabre Ramblings, a true crime full ramble. So doop doop three day it's a true crime episode as i have said in the uh introduction can you call that an introduction i suppose you could uh-huh and so i'm going to go straight into the uh warnings it, this episode is probably going to the explicit tag it's gonna probably have an explicit tag mostly because i don't know how much i would describe it but there's going to be gore there's going to be a uh Description of human dismemberment, human uh, cuttings, I suppose, taking of the human flesh, eating the human flesh, because uh, the title of this episode is Kobe Cannibal, so you know how it's going, you know it's going to be nasty in a cannibal sort of way, and so because I think it's going to be more of the uh, stomach churning. Disgusting, nasty, ew, ew, ew types of uh, descriptions within this episode. I'm gonna put the explicit tag and I'm gonna say this outright that warning, warning, if you do not like hearing these type of things, this episode will probably not be for you and let's meet together next episode <laughs> where it's paranormal and less of a uh, body cutting situation. And so this episode, this topic of this episode would be Issei Sagawa, which is called the Kobe Cannibal. Also, I have seen like a couple of articles that calls him the Celebrity Cannibal. As to why he's called that, uh, you'll know. <laughs> Once I'm finished with this episode, you'll definitely know why he is called the Celebrity Cannibal. And so, <clears throat> since I don't know how to smoothly... Uh, <laughs> smoothly uh, go to the actual topic <laughs> let's just start with Issei's childhood so Issei is born on April 26 1949 and apparently Tomi Sagawa which is his mother actually fell down some steps and she narrowly avoided a miscarriage Issei Sagawa almost died because when he was an infant he was nearly lost because of this accident and he was born prematurely but alive on his birthday. His parents would name him Issei, and they would later remark on how he as a baby was small enough to fit in the palm of his father's hand. So he's really small because he's premature, prematurely born, and so he was like small stature since the beginning. And Issei was born in Kobe, which is in Hyogo Prefecture. His parents are wealthy. Uh, Sagawa's father, Issei's father, Akira Sagawa, he was a businessman who had served as president of Kurita Water Industries and his grandfather had been an editor for the Asahi Shimbun. I'm not quite sure if I'm right, but Shimbun is, I think, a newspaper company. Shimbun? I'm not quite sure. I should have probably researched that, but hey. So they have wealth. And so as a child, as an infant, a child, like, you know, the defenseless infant, he already suffered 
his first serious ailment and this disease is called the enteritis and it attacks the intestine in order to save his life he was given injections of potassium and calcium in a saline solution and to everybody's relief after several treatments he regained his health back but he was physically weak and his legs were apparently so skinny they looked like pencils so he was just a small little child since the beginning and so as a toddler toddler life you'd think that he is a normal toddler life because his parents are very us uh, not strict more of a coddling wealthy coddling parents is the thing and i haven't seen any uh what do you call this any information that the parents were bad when it comes to his treatment when it comes to their treatment parenting but as a toddler they would play this uh game and in, in the traditional new year's festivities and his this game would be his uncle mitzvah would disguise himself as a frightening boy eating giant why just boy eating i don't know just boys i suppose and he apparently really dressed to look like a monster and he would chase the running children pretending that he was going to eat them usually little isay and his elder brother were the recipients of the quote-unquote giant's attention and it was their father akira sagawa who is the knight in shining armor i'd like to think that he also dressed up as the knight in shining armor and akira sagawa the father appears as their savior <clears throat> the boys then would like just enjoy the scene of the giant going go giant hysterically yelling at their father while making this hungry giant noises and they dashed around the house like just running around and just having fun playing this kind of weird role playing type of thing instead of like you know the family role playing that children's do they do this <laughs> and so strangely though strangely you think that the knight in shining arm in shining armor would be the one to win but to know strangely each time the game was played the giant would always emerge as the victor the giant would first blind and then slay the knight akira and the children would then be snatched up and taken away ready to be put inside the cast iron cooking pot of the quote-unquote giant and this game it's weird <laughs> not weird but it's more of a unique type of game that i don't know if it's because of cultural differences but i've never heard of a game like that here where i am but you'd think that this is some kind of just innocent you know ooh monster is gonna eat you it is a game for children but this is one of the reasons why cannibalism was imprinted on his mind since he was a toddler he enjoyed this game a lot in not an innocent way or just a normal way that the child would enjoy this game isei sagawa later would recall that he felt this giddy mixture of terror and elation that he felt when he and his brother were lowered while they were struggling wildly into the quote-unquote stew pot and both of them his and his brother enjoyed this game but this has a deep and lasting effect on isei as he became old enough to read this is his early entry into a make-believe world where humans ate other humans and this idea just you know just bounces around in his mind a lot 
and he found himself reaching for as many fairy tale books as he could find, keeping an eye out for any stories involving people being eaten by monsters, dragons, or other people. So just the thought of people getting eaten by something, he took pleasure in that. Did the elation just <laughs> I don't know how to describe this, but he enjoyed that topic a lot, even when he was still a toddler. <clears throat> so his favorite uh, tale, fairy tale, is Hansel and Gretel. And apparently he would lay awake in bed for hours, fervently replaying the story in his mind, especially the part where the witch was fattening up the children she captured. And apparently this made him experience an early sexual awakening at the thought of other children be other children being prepared to be eaten by somebody else and he fancied actually he fancied himself as the victim and not the one who eats at this point in time he wants to be the one to be eaten so as with the game he played with the uncle Issei enjoyed the thought and the element of masochism <laughs> in being manhandled, forced into the pot by, by some kind of entity. And this gave him this sensation, this sexual awakening in his body. And that's what he thought at night a lot. <laughs> so his first sexual awakening wasn't, I'd say it was very concerning. We all have our kinks. We all have our fetishes. And I'm not gonna knock down people with these kind of stuff, but a child, hmm, I don't know. This is very, very concerning. So as a schoolboy, now we go to when he was grown up enough to go to school. Uh, Issei Sagawa is typically a loner. He is unable to express his true feelings because apparently he knows that if he shares his dreams of cannibalism, this would not come through to the other people well yep and the other children he thinks that the other children would have laughed and mocked him or worse rejected him so the thought that that's what he was scared of like the rejection not the fact that they were going to be very disturbed by this i, I don't know i i could never put my brain into where his brain is his whole life so because of this he was often to be found alone. He was virtually friendless, but he enjoyed school. He enjoyed the process of learning. And he embraced this a lot. And he was an intelligent boy because of this. He was bad at socializing, but he's really good when it comes to school, when it comes to learning. And as I have said, Issei's family is wealthy and very pampering, very cuddling. And... This is really true when it comes to Tomi Sagawa, his mother. It became too much, actually. It became too much coddling. And he, she felt this need to constantly protect Issei because he looks frail. He looks fragile. He is small. I think he's also very small for his age. Even when he became, becomes an adult, he's really small. So there's this innate feeling from his mother to just protect him all the time. But as a result of this, she ended up basically smothering him a lot, stifling any move that he may have wished to become independent. She kept him firmly under her wing whenever there, it is possible. And school was the only place where Issei was basically alone, 
where he, this is the only place where he can fend for himself. But, you know, school, especially when it's like elementary, uh, middle school, there's still this disciplined structure of the environment within the school. And so, this is still shielding him from like, I don't know, true life. <laughs> and because he doesn't socialize, and he's friendless, and he's basically just studying, socializing isn't socializing and independence was something that didn't come to him i suppose you could say that because he doesn't really like socializing or he doesn't really know how to break times or recess which is usually the perfect a perfect the most uh the favorite time of children especially when they're like toddlers you know tens six seven year olds they, they love like recess but this was a chore for him because he is just shy and awkward and he basically spent all of this time by finding a quiet place where he could daydream so as a child he always almost always spends his life within this make-believe world i suppose you could say that when he is not learning in his recess and people are usually you could see kids usually playing with other kids he's staying in one place daydreaming and putting himself within this make-believe world and in 1961 when Issei is already 12 years old he began his secondary education and he is as I've said a very intelligent man boy at this time he is a boy so in accordance with this intelligence he veered away from fairy tales he doesn't read those anymore and instead he began to take notice of the great literary works the classics he likes the stories unfolding in faraway western worlds, such as War and Peace. But this does not particularly draw him in terms of love, but the story itself. <clears throat> and he absolutely loved the uh, thought and descriptions of the grace and refined femininity of the heroines. So he likes the thought of the, des the descriptions of the heroines within these books. Sagawa later then would speak of how he regarded these women with their quote-unquote pale flesh and romantic dispositions as angels. So he definitely kind of idolized, almost uh, you could call it uh, revered worships, these kind of descriptions. And around this time, he was also becoming immersed in viewing the works of Auguste Auguste Renoir, <laughs> he's a French Impressionist, so he Issei also likes paintings, art. He likes Auguste's paintings, which usually shows the creamy flesh tones of women. Mm -hmm. And he would gaze upon these images often. And he would find himself wondering how this uh, fleshy skin would feel under his touch. And unfortunately he would also wonder how it would taste mm -hmm. so sagawa actually went to this interview with vice and i would say i would uh, read one excerpt of what he have said it's a little lengthy but i found it quite interesting and this is what he said quote unquote it was in the first grade of elementary school when i saw the quivering meat on the male classmates thighs and i suddenly thought hmm that looks delicious, but I'm not homosexual. So from around the time I entered junior high school, I, become, I became obsessed with the Western actress Grace Kelly, an obsession that lasted right through high school. That was the beginning of my infatuation with Occidental people. 
Before I knew it, tall, healthy-looking Western women became the trigger for my cannibalistic fantasies. I guess my infatuation with such women stemmed from the fact that I was short, ugly, and had an inferiority complex, and therefore sought people who were the exact opposite of myself. Eventually, I began feeling a strong desire to bite into them, not to kill them or eat them per se, but merely to gnaw on their flesh. It was purely a form of sexual desire. It wasn't like I felt like eating someone every time I was hungry, but you know how you tend to feel a stronger sexual desire when you've eaten a full meal? That's when I would start feeling the urge to eat a girl. It's absurd, right? In essence, it's different from the type of hunger that people experience for food. This cannibalistic urge where I'm going, I want to eat human meat, is a sort of sexual appetite. So if I don't make sure that I ejaculate frequently enough, the desire only gets stronger and stronger. So weird enough, I put this down in my notes because this is kind of like him talking about his childhood and where his cannibalistic urges basically manifested himself. But now I feel kind of icky. I don't know, I feel, I feel sticky. I, I, um, so yep. <clears throat> so as he grew, his fantasies basically intensified and he relieved this by masturbation at basically any opportunity. So at one point, his morbid fantasy involved him voyeuristically spying on a well-built western goddess as she showered. So he really, really likes the build and the descriptions of western women. He would then creep up on her and viciously strangle her from behind with his belt. So violence is now within his fantasies. So the idea of throttling a naked woman to death was now a, com a vital component to his fantasies and he then realized that he had difficulty becoming aroused by anything that did not involve killing and eating somebody. And when he realized this, he finally, finally sought professional help, which I'd like to think so is something that I could give him credit for because, you know, there are a lot of stories of serial killers, murderers, anybody with a mental illness and, you know, like, they have problems when it comes to having urges to murder somebody and they don't go for professional help. He did though, he did. But when he first contacted a psychiatrist and he was 15 at this time, some years after his sexual fantasies was very much taking over his life, but not long after they had begun to show murder within his fantasies, the psychiatrist he spoke with informed him that in order to be him be given help by the psychiatrist, Sagawa would need to actually come to his office and talk, not just through the phone. But Sagawa was far too embarrassed to sit face to face with someone and discuss this, this kind of fantasy that he had been harboring since he was small and just opened this up to somebody that he doesn't know. So he was far too embarrassed to do that, to do that. And so he reluctantly decided to not go through with it but he did eventually share this fantasies with his brother and you'd think you'd think that you, if you have a sibling that shares this with you you'd think that they would need help help in such a way that it's not like oh my god you're a monster but kind of like lovingly in a way disturbed you're disturbed of course i would be very disturbed but i would basically 
show them the path to professional help, going to give them a push to get some help, emphasize that they need some help. But his older brother was basically not impressed. He thinks that Issei was just pranking him, trolling him in such a way. And he passed it off as like, that's just that. And he dismissed this. Even if Issei... I like to think that Issei took in a lot of courage to do that. But his brother just dismissed every single thing that he just said. And so Sagawa has the lack of connection, professional or familial. And this forced him to retreat even further into his fantasies. Basically his fantasies that, have, that had already turned violent. That had already murder within it. He could not get these thoughts out of his head. And if no one could help him, he certainly could definitely not help himself. And he eventually resigned himself to the thought of just what will be will be. You know, just I give up. Whatever happens, happens. And so he just resigned himself to that kind of thinking. But he knows, he knows that one day he would get a person, a woman, a Western woman, and basically commit his darkest fantasies to them, which is... I'm pretty sure this whole like childhood life kind of thing is one whole red flag, you know? Imagine just me telling the story to everybody and I'm walking through this aisle and the, this whole aisle has just this one big red flag instead of a red carpet and the walls are a red flag, the ceiling has a red flag, I'm holding a red flag, my mic is a red flag, everything is a red flag. And you know, this wouldn't end well at all. He, since he knows that this is disturbing, he puts a lot of energy into academic accomplishments because he does like reading, he does like learning, so he puts a lot of energy within his school, but this does not dampen his fantasies at all. And in 1970, while he was attending Wako University in Tokyo, he uh, basically f saw this young German woman, German woman, so Western, and you know how he likes the Western people. And so he found this young German woman and he started stalking her. Yep. And by stalking her, he found out where she lived and he basically stalked her enough, enough that he knows that sometimes she keeps a window in her house in her house open when the evenings are warm and then he decided to enter her one day to enter her home kill her and basically eat her so one summer day when the evening is warm and he knows the window would be open he crawled through the window of her apartment intent on doing all of these plans that i just said like three sentences ago to his delight she was asleep and even better, apparently, she was wearing hardly anything at all. Because it's hot. You know, it's hot and you're in your own place. And you're vulnerable. So you're like, who's going to judge me by wearing almost nothing to sleep? And I'm in my own place. You know? And so he looked for something to use to knock her out or stab her. And he apparently spotted an umbrella. Stabbing someone with an umbrella sounds both ridiculous and absolutely violent at the same time this makes me this reminds me of this anime i don't know if anybody has watched this but this anime's title is called another and i, have, I haven't actually finished it at all but i saw this clip of somebody a girl tripping on the stairs falling down the stairs and she basically landed on an umbrella and it impaled her like <laughs> what the heck i don't know <laughs> i'm suddenly reminded of that and so he spotted an umbrella However, before he could do anything, fortunately, the woman woke up 
and saw him there, standing, and looking at her umbrella. And of course, she screamed, and after she screamed, this scared him, and basically Sagawa claimed that she pushed him to the ground. Sagawa was then captured by police and charged with attempted rape, but he did not confess what he really tried to do. You know, they just assumed that he was going to rape her, and he didn't basically disagree with that. Because he's not going to tell the authorities that he was going to kill her and then eat her. But you think that he's going to get like jail time or, you know, I don't know, time spent for that. But his charges were dropped because his father paid a settlement to the victim. And as I say, uh, as I go through with this episode, you'd see that his father is always there to help him even if he has done something bad. I know f family should help family, but. He is at that point where I'm just, come on, your son did something bad, but he's like doing everything he can to, I don't know, coddle him way too much, I suppose. So his father is always there to help him and he paid the settlement to the victim. So the next day, because of this, because of what had happened, Sagawa decided to consult a psychiatrist once again because he, because he knows he needed help and he needed it badly. This time, he was persuaded to visit, visit his office, so he was like, Okay, I'm really going to go through with this. <clears throat> so, Sagawa said all of his fantasies to the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist was unsympathetic, basically sa saying that he is public danger. And making it clear that Isa 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 Is Isawa Isay basically crossed the ethical boundaries with his admission to his fantasies but Sagawa's father here he is again Akira managed to basically do a cover-up and then sent his son out of the country to another school uh, and later when he does something even worse there are mental health professionals who evaluated him and they later say that he has dangerous tendencies within him from psychosis to psychopathy Sagawa attended Wako University because apparently, uh, what is that called? Taking reper repercussions on what he has done is not something that is happening to him. So Sagawa continued attending Wako University and he completed a master's degree in English literature at Kwansei Gakuin University. He also continuing, continued, continued, my god, he also continued earning a MA degree in Shakespearean literature. So when it comes to his academics, he's doing the damn thing. And uh, now, in 1977, Issei Sagawa basically went from Tokyo's Wako University to the Sorbonne in Paris, which... Paris. He loves Western women, and now he goes to Paris. So at that point, he was 20 years old, he is intelligent, he is cultured, and he is still a virgin. <clears throat> so suddenly when he was in Sorbonne, and in the presence of girls, apparently this article said that he is in the presence of all these girls clad in their short skirts and revealing tops. Sagawa was a man on fire, and now I feel even more disgusting. Like, oh. So he had been living in the city for almost two years, and fortunately he hasn't done anything really bad in those two years. But after that, a tragedy occurred. In 1979, there's this beautiful American actress, Jean Seberg. I don't know if it's Jean or John, but Jean Seberg 
she committed suicide in her car. And instead of being like sympathetic, being sad for her death, Issei was amazed that her body was found not only in Paris, but also a short distance from where he lives. So that's where he was amazed at. Zuberg apparently, Seberg, Seberg apparently had been one of his earliest infatuations, and Sagawa thought that this is fate, that she had died so near to him. So his delusions are really, really bad. So the, the papers reported that how, how she had been naked when she was found, and Sagawa, this, this, this information basically short-circuited his brain. He could not control it. Like, oh my god. So he dreamed of going there, getting to the corpse before the police found her, and taking her back to his flat to eat. So another, basically, thought to add in his fantasies to his very, very not good fantasies. And then he thought that maybe if he took just one woman, it would be enough to get this all of all out of his system. So this thought comforted him somewhat, apparently, and he claims even now that he did not wish to just kill people, which I think is kind of a lie, because his fantasies involves killing people. I don't know, to say the lab. <clears throat> so thinking that if he did this, this ultimate fantasy, he might be able to just stop himself from repeating this so you know i could just try this once and then be done with it <clears throat> so he decided that he's going to do it he's going to do this so his plan at first involved basically luring the easiest targets you know the easiest targets of serial killers as well and what would they be the sex workers so he would invite sex worker a sex worker back to his flat and he thinks that he's going to just stab her to death. He eventually managed to pick up a someone. But after creeping up on her as she showered, he found out that he could not just go through with it. It's not easy for him. Uh-huh. Somewhere in his mind, he knew that if he did does this, if he kills this sex worker and eat her, something would change. And that made him, I don't know if you could call it scared. But that made him hesitate, and he didn't manage to do it. Uh, and he does this like over and over at several failed attempts to kill these sex workers. And at 1980, Sagawa decided to go back to Japan for a while. He stayed there for four months and then returned to Paris. And now, we go to this very unfortunate first meeting where everything is going downhill from the start but this is where it literally just jumps off the cliff basically and then crashes into a bloody heap on the floor so my god that's morbid anyway so the first meeting and from the first moment that Issei met Renee Hartvelt he was basically captivated because she is a beautiful Dutch woman who studies literature in Sorbonne in Paris and in interview, he said this, quote-unquote, All of the French women I had met before then were beautiful, but were stuck up and totally out of my league. In contrast, this girl was so friendly and warm. And that makes me sad, because if she is friendly and warm, she doesn't deserve everything that would happen in the future. Not at all. Not at all. He wasn't able to get Renee out of his head at all. And so he he formulated the plan. This is first, first he th his plans are not 
morbid at all. It feels like innocent kind of behavior in a way. And ACA is uh, standards. So traveling home on the metro one afternoon, he was thrilled to see her basically riding the metro with him. And he could not pass up this meeting, this chance to, you know, talk with her, talk to her. So Renee recognized him from the literature class because they share this class. And she smiled politely as he decided to sit down beside her. Then they talked and he used their studies that are in common within their curriculums to strike up a casual conversation. Though he was shy and awkward, when he wants something, he goes he goes just head first into it and because renee is basically a warm friendly person renee just uh entertains him he talks she talks with him and she saw that behind this shy and small exterior he is an intelligent young man because he is unfortunately he <laughs> you know yeah so renee is very friendly and their dialogue at first went not further than their academic interests but for Sagawa this was an important development because basically the ice had been broken and this opens him up to a lot of paths to just talk to her again in the future so he eagerly anticipated their next literature class together where he intended to move this friendship along so after the lecture, it was suggested by the group of friends that they have that they go out that evening for a meal at a local Greek restaurant. And Sagawa, basically having this invitation as well, recommended that they go to his apartment instead because he would prepare this special Japanese meal for them all, a dish called sukiyaki. And this consisted of traditional meat and noodles. Initially, they all like agreed to it that they were going to go including Renee herself. When it came to the evening where they planned to go and eat in his flat, however, nobody came to show, but Renee did. Everybody else was a no-show except for Renee. So Sagawa knows that most people found him a bit odd because he was very reserved, I suppose, very shy, very awkward, and he still considered himself to be a friendless person. So he was hardly able to conceal the surprise at at the fact that Renee basically arrived by herself. She still went through with it even if the other people are not coming to Issei's flat. So they conversed happily about their interests, love of music, and mutual studies. And Sagawa apparently played up his accomplishments, of course, because she, he needs to impress her. And this is where this innocent like courtship friendship type of thing ends because the moment that Issei saw Renee wash her hands in the bathroom, this image of her overlapped with the image of the sex workers washing themselves at the bidet and this triggered him and basically made Renee a target, a candidate for his morbid plans. So in one of his interviews, because he really loved going to interviews and in one of his interviews he said this I invited her to join me for some Japanese food the Japanese restaurants in Paris were expensive so I said I'd prepare sukiyaki at home no one else came along and usually a girl would be on her guard to be alone with a man at his place but Renee was completely at ease 
The sukiyaki got burnt and stuck to the pot, and while she stood at the sink washing it, I got this feeling while looking at her from behind. I don't know why, that she looked like a whore, and I was overcome with this compulsion to eat her. So there are two versions of this. The first one is he saw her washing her hands in the bathroom, and the second is this one, the thing that he said in the interview. I'd like to lean more on the interview side, but since I see two different things, I'll just say it in this episode. After this, he was basically in a constant state of arousal, and now I feel icky again. And he was very tempted to follow through, that he's going to go with his plan, because Renee is not an innocent friendship person anymore. Mm-hmm. So, but he doesn't know how to go through with it once again, because he didn't try to kill her at this point time where they ate sukiyaki but he, he needs to make sure that they were alone once again so he could do this so Sagawa considered considered himself weak ugly and small he was only 144.8 centimeters which is four feet nine inches tall and claims that he wanted to absorb her energy because you know inferiority complex to the max because she was 25 years old so younger than him and she is 178 centimeters 5 feet 10 inches in a very beautiful woman. So while he was planning what to do to her, this, this morbid fantasies, he actually wrote her love letters and invited her to concerts and exhibits. So apparently he was small, as I have said, he was feminine and he walked with a limp. Yet she often went with him and, and invited also him to her apartment for tea. So she was just a very warm, very friendly, very kind person. They even danced together, allowing Sagawa this more physical sense of his fantasies because she's taller than him and he's, you know, inferiority complex, twisted sense of the I don't want to delve into it, makes me feel icky. So he found her overpowering and apparently he claims that he loved them, but he also wanted to possess and destroy them, these Western women. Of course, all of these expenses with the uh, concerts, exhibits, were funded by his father, <laughs> of course. And Renee genuinely enjoyed this friendship with Issei. She even mentioned him, him in letters that she wrote to her parents, in which she described him as a friendly and highly intelligent man. However, Renee was not a naive person. She knew that all of this, what Issei was doing, means that he likes her in a way, or at the very least had formed a crush on her but she assumed it was harmless and this would eventually dissipate which is she's a really kind soul and I'm like I wish I wish she decided that this made everything awkward and just distance herself because I just wish <laughs> so one day Issei invited Renee over to his apartment for dinner he then asked her to read a poem by his favorite German expressionist and she did after she left, this is very disgusting, Ugh. after she left, he smelled the place where she had sat on and licked it. Yep. And so, <clears throat> one point in this quote-unquote friendship, uh, Renee mentioned that she spoke three languages fluently, English, French, and German. And taking into account that she was basically short on finances, because... Issei has an overflowing amount of money because of his father, but she doesn't have it. He basically uh, lied and feigned interest in learning how to speak German 
so that he might, you know, read, write in this language. And he wants to, apparently he said that he might, he wants to read some romantic poetry he was fond of, German romantic poetry. And he wants Renee to tutor him. And he would pay her if she does. And she accepted. Upon her return for the first German lesson, Sagawa thought that he, this is it. This is it. I'm going to do this plan that I have for like so long now. And when Rene arrived at his flat for this first German lesson, Issei was very jittery, psyched up, but he had last minute reservations when he was faced with the reality of this thing that he was planning to do. Though he had been here before a lot with the sex workers, he was still confronted by the reality that he was going to harm somebody and he could not go through with it at all. So when Rene left that night, he didn't manage to do it. He basically got mad at himself because he considered himself a coward for not going through with it. <clears throat> he was highly agitated. He wondered if he could go through with it the next time Rene visited. I hope I'm there to just scream at him that no, you should not go through with this. But apparently simply, uh, simply masturbating was no longer enough to hold all of his fantasies. It's not enough anymore. And he knew that he had to do this. And next time, there must be no turning back. And back then, uh, when he was in Japan, I think, so upon arriving in Paris from when he was in Japan, he had purchased a 22 caliber rifle for self-protection, as he said. And he had this ready when Rene arrived again. But next time, the next quote-unquote German lesson, he failed again. While Rene was seated comfortably on a pile of cushions on the floor, and they were reading passages from a book, Issei basically moved quietly to a cupboard, and he took out the 22 caliber rifle he kept there. He sneaked up behind her, pointed the weapon directly at the back of her neck, and this time, he pulled the trigger. He did. But, nothing happened, because the gun had jammed. It jammed! But he didn't... He didn't think of this as like a sign of the universe that's screaming at him that no, don't do this to this very kind and beautiful lady. No, he did not. So he was anxious because the weapon might have not fired, but you know, the click of the trigger was there. And unfortunately, unfortunately, Renee did not hear this. And so Sagawa quickly returned the rifle to the cupboard and just sat down next to her, pretending that he was still absorbing this German lesson that they were doing. Uh, as I've said, he did not take this as a sign of the universe screaming at him to not continue with this freaking plan. He did not. And uh, the, <laughs> the next lesson would be on Thursday, the Thursday, 11th of June, 1981. And she went over again for dinner. And he said to her that he had a cassette recorder and he wanted her to record herself reading a poem. And she accepted this, and Sagawa prepared himself to act once again, the plan that he has in mind. He seated her on the floor, Japanese style, to drink tea, and into her tea, he put some whiskey to make her more pliant. Ugh, disgusting. And they talked for a while, while Sagawa waited for the whiskey to have its, the hood to have its effect. Then he told Renee that he loved her and wanted to take her to bed. But even if she's more pliant, she's all, uh, no, no, buzzed up. She resisted him and she found him like a friend only, not sexually attractive at all. 
And Sagawa just agreed with that. He nodded. He like, yeah, okay, I understand. He then got up to get the book of poetry while Renee sat on a chair. This is very weird. <laughs> Absolutely weird. This situation in itself is so weird. So Renee sat on a chair. He got the book of poetry. Sagawa handed the poem to Renee to read and he started the recorder. So while Renee was reciting the poem in her native language, German, Sagawa came up behind her with his rifle and this time he shot her in the back of the neck and it fired. And because it's at the proximity that it is, she basically died immediately. She fell off the chair and after she fell off the chair, he continued to talk to her, but of course she didn't answer. And he said that he was surprised by how quiet it was. Then he noticed the amount of blood that flowed out of the gunshot wound. At first, he attempted to clean it up, but he finally gave up. Sagawa would later say in an interview, I think, that he had been so shocked at the fact that he had done this and the result of his actions that he fainted. Whether or not this is credible though is unknown because he was the one who said this and nobody else. So no one like give another testament for that. There's no testimony to allude to that at all. He was the only one who said this. So apparently after fainting, when he came to, he claimed that he feels quite ill. And he basically experienced this weird otherworldly feeling as he gazed basically on her dead body. And Sagawa said that he was afraid of the corpse at first and that this is a very, very real act of murder. And he thought that this is like a far cry from the sexual fantasies that he had nurtured for so long, which I say bullshit to as well because he likes, he puts violence and murder in his fantasies anyway. <clears throat> and apparently he said that for a split second, he thought of calling an ambulance then he thought, quote-unquote, hang on, don't be stupid, you've been dreaming about this for 32 years and now it's actually happening. And once again, I feel achy. Mm -hmm. I feel achy. So the first thing he did is basically have sex with the dead body. So necrophilia is happening here, people. So and after that, after defiling her corpse that he did, he killed her. He bit into her butt, basically, with the intention of, like, biting into it, like, actual eating through the skin. But human skin is so thick, apparently, and it's impossible for him to do that, and he ended up with just a sore jaw. Although he said that he managed to leave some teeth marks. And after that, when he realized that human skin cannot just be bitten through with human teeth, just like that, he went out, he went out, buy a meat carving knife yep and after he did this after he bought this knife he got down on his hands and knees to use this knife to slice meat from her dead body so he would later describe this meat human meat uh oh no while he was slicing through her body he sliced through what he would later describe as a coin quote thick yellow layer of fatty tissue so uh he, this is another one from his interview it's calling he said going code the first thing i did was cut into her buttock no matter how deep i cut all i saw was the fat beneath the skin 
It looked like corn, and it took a while to actually reach the red meat. The moment I saw the meat, I tore a chunk off with my fingers and threw it into my mouth. It was truly a historical moment for me. <laughs> I kind of... <laughs> I kind of disassociated in the middle of saying that because mm, the Ikenes is real, people. So he placed this in his mouth. He began to chew, savoring what he said tasted like raw tuna fish, apparently. So as he ate, he really found this pleasurable and he had an erection because apparently Renee tasted exquisite and then he ate even more because <laughs> he liked this a lot like this thing that he's doing a lot and so he cut a section of flesh from her upper thigh and he, he ate this raw as well he said this in his interview as well I completely regret putting down his words in my notes because I end up reading it uh, and he said this quote-unquote I ended up swallowing the clitoris and some pubes without chewing on it because she had her period then and the smell was just horrendous but it was the first moment that I actually felt a sort of sexual pleasure in eating her as if my inner body was on fire also you know how beef or whale meat has a sort of beastly smell to it. Human meat is odorless. I actually believe that human meat is the tastiest of all meats. It doesn't have any of that gamey animal smell. <sighs> I might have need to take a break in the middle of the, the recording because... No. So he was very aroused by this and he basically had intercourse with her again. With her partially cannibalized corpse. Hmm. <clears throat> And so, after all of this, uh, he stares at what he has done, and he sees that there was a dead body bleeding profusely on his living room floor, and he needs to get rid of this. So the next stage of his plan was bringing this body into his bathroom, and so he put the body into the bathtub, and he used the same knife that he used to cut her flesh to begin cutting both of her legs. Next, he took away both of her arms until he was able to wrench them free of their sockets. And they had this very morbid thought of when you're eating chicken legs and you just pop off the chicken leg out of its socket. Disgusting. And so after cutting off, after wrenching off the arms, he took off her head. He severed her head. And throughout what he's doing, he kept the cold tap running, so the blood just keeps on draining down the drainage of the bathtub. So Issei always claims that the act of actual dismemberment, the actual of taking apart a corpse, was not pleasurable for him. Again, it's only him that says this. We don't really know if it's true or not, because, you know, he could lie. He could very, very well lie. And so... So Sagawa says that he was very much revulsed. Revol is that a word? He felt revulsion at the thought of cutting Renee into pieces like this. And But the revulsion that he felt really did not stop him from cutting more flesh from Renee's thighs and buttocks. And he wrapped them in plastic and placed them in his freezer so he could eat them later. Ugh. He, while he was slicing off one of her breasts, this basically looked unappealing to him and he was incredibly disappointed with this. 
<clears throat> because this is part of his fantasy a lot the women's breasts coming off like this but it wasn't and he says that the amputated breast resembled a revolting lump of fat and he decided then and there that he would not be eating her breast after all and so the rest of the remains he cooked and ate more of it while he listened to the recording of her reading the poem so i think that i don't know this is just me making like an assumption but this is like something that she was doing before she died and he was listening to this while he was eating her so this is like a twisted way of reliving what he has done i suppose and this makes me feel even more disagreement or kind of like saying bullshit to his claims that he was very very shocked at the fact that he had killed her but now he's eating her <clears throat> and so that's what happened and apparently when he was finished this and he finished eating her remains <sighs> another disgusting thing he used her underwear as a napkin to wipe his mouth and while he was like i think taking off her flesh while it was like dismembering i don't know if it's in dismembering of or him just taking off flesh from her body apparently he took photographs of her body at each eating stage so he, when he finally felt exhausted after this dismembering and all of this stuff he took what was left of the corpse into his bed to sleep with it <sighs> i wrote the notes but i'm but i'm surprised and just speechless at what i'm reading but i'm the one who wrote this so he knew that in the morning he would have to prepare to get rid of the evidence so the rest of the bodies so the next day he found out that the body was not smelling quite yet so hmm why are you barking baby you don't like you don't like the story at all i'm so sorry <laughs> so the next day he found out that the body was not smelling quite yet so he continued to try parts of it in particular apparently the arm had fascinated him <laughs> he chewed on it all the way from the underarm to the elbow he said quote unquote i had no idea that it would taste so good so he was also curious about a few of the body parts that seemed more repulsive he hesitated he hesitated but unfortunately he still decided to go ahead with it he cut out her anus he put it into his mouth but apparently the smell was overpowering so he spit it out he tried frying it but that failed to basically take out the odor so he gave up and basically returned to trying out other parts of the body i suppose <clears throat> so isei went out from his flat over the flat ventured out from his flat over the next couple of days disposing of her clothing he kept her trousers though kind of like a trophy probably so he then purchased a couple of large suitcases and he stuffed the rest of the body parts within them and sealed it uh perhaps in an effort to like show that nothing weird is happening in his life and he hadn't like murdered his friend and ate her and raped her and did all of this like disgusting stuff he still accompanied some of his fellow students in a trip to the cinema and nobody noticed at all that something was off and people actually recalled that sagawa appeared relaxed and looking like he was in a good mood so that same night after the cinema 
He returned to his studio flat to eat some more of Renee. So he took several cutlets from the fridge. He fried the flesh in the pan, cooked it through with his liking. He says that it tasted like veal, but it was tough and chewy. Despite his attempts to basically tenderize them, he flavored the meat with salt, pepper, and mustard. And this was very enjoyable for him. It was not enjoyable for me to say that out loud. And he sat there again in a state of total sexual excitement. Another me not excited at all. This <laughs> so each time he ate more of her f of blah, 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 I can't even talk anymore. So each time he ate more of her flesh, he basically would quote unquote peak. Disgusting. He could not have enough of this thing that he's doing. So by Saturday night, Segawa concluded that it was time to get rid of the body. Because basically the dismembered limbs in the trunk were beginning to leave off smell of decomp and that's not good at all and then um, also when he was putting her in the trunk in the suitcases he had to dismember her even more and apparently this made him grow excited so bullshit on the part where he decided he said that dismemberment isn't pleasurable for him and so he he grew excited and he used <sighs> He used her hand, so dismembered hand, to masturbate. Then he chewed on her nose and heard the noise of the cartilage crunching. Since he'd often thought about chewing on her lip, he removed her lip and set it aside. That part, apparently, he would keep for later pleasures. <clears throat> so he wrote, in the future, he wrote a book. And in this book, he wrote, quote-unquote, I want her tongue. I can't open her lower jaw, but I can reach in between her teeth. Finally, it comes out. He cut it off, popped it into his mouth, and watched himself chewing it in the mirror. Then he went for the eyes. So the final step for him was to explore the internal organs, and apparently his hands were stung with digestive acid. So apparently when her head was severed, severed, <laughs> severed, when her head was severed, he grabbed the hair and hung the head in front of him. And that's when he realized that he was a cannibal. Sir, you've done so much already, what the fuck? So, by the time he was finished bagging the pieces and locking them in the suitcase, it was midnight of the second day, and then he called a cab. So, hi. This is, uh... Around two nights after <laughs> the recording of the first part, mainly because I got tired talking for like an hour or so and my throat was starting to hurt. And then discovered that I could get a COVID shot the next day. And so I got a COVID shot the next day and I was sleeping the whole day afterwards after that. I'm fine though. There's no like really bad uh, symptoms or repercussions from the shot which is good except for my arm was like feeling really sore and i'm just feeling really sleepy and mostly tired but what's new in my life anyway that's not something really new <laughs> and i think this i would take this time to just say uh please do vaccinate it'll help us all a lot and that's it that's that's really my stance on this matter and so we go back to what happened with Issei Sagawa as he brings these suitcases and try to dispose of Renee's body. So, 
just before midnight on Saturday, which is 13 of June, 1981, there's a cab that pulled to the Bois de Boulogne. Bo anyway, it's a park. <laughs> it's a pretty famous park. And that's where he basically led the cab to. And so the taxi driver actually ended up helping Issei put the luggage in the trunk when he was going to ride on the cab because the suitcases were apparently very heavy for Issei. And so the cab driver actually jokingly asked if there was a dead body inside. <laughs> so uh, so that's what uh, dark humor that happened when Issei called for a cab and decided to go to the very famous park. Close by in the park when they were already in the park. Uh, close by there's a middle-aged couple who's taking like the warm summer night they were just walking hand in hand they were i'd assume they were in a date or just you know a married couple probably just you know a couple walking holding hands just having a peaceful time looking around at the night peace the peaceful night scenery and they were beside lac inferior which is basically the largest of dubois many lakes i should have searched up how to say these names <laughs> but I didn't <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty sure I'm butchering them I'm so sorry so while this middle-aged couple were strolling by they noticed a taxi pull into a side road up ahead and they noticed that out of this taxi hopped a young Asian looking gentleman and the couple would later describe the man as being very small and delicately built and they proceeded to observe him struggling to pull two large suitcases from the taxi and after this man paid the driver he proceeded to place these heavy cases onto a small trolley which he then began to drag into the park and this young man is Issei Sagawa surprise surprise <laughs> the topic of this episode for like past hour now so the couple walked on this is like I'd probably end up end up remembering that i've seen this it's kind of weird but at the same time it's just yeah there's someone with like two heavy suitcases and that's it so they just continued walking on but this man Issei, did something to further draw their attention and so they slowed their pace and watched because Issei suddenly veered sharply across the gar the grass verge and he headed towards the edge of the lake and so imagine if you're one of the couple and you watch this man walk out of the taxi with two heavy suitcases and he suddenly just drags these suitcases down to the lake. Of course, you'd end up watching him a lot because that's such strange behavior. And so clearly, because uh, clearly because of the uh, body language of this of essay at this point, he clearly intended to put all of this heavy baggage into the water. But then he then turned, glanced around him, and spied that there's this middle-aged couple staring right at him. So, because he noticed that someone is actually watching him, he panicked. He hastily slid both of the cases under a nearby bush, turned, and fled basically away from the scene. <laughs> Which, sir, I do not condone throwing bodies that are you have killed. But, what the heck? This is such... This is just... This is stupid. <laughs> this is very, very stupid. And so, 
after he ran away, the couple who are left there, they assume just slack-jawed and just, what the fuck did we just watch, were basically intrigued as to what the heck just happened. And so they approached the bushes, which Issei had left the suitcases in, and they were determined to find out what it was that he was actually trying to throw into the lake. So they unzipped the first case, and peering inside... Peering inside... <sighs> they saw the torso of a young woman, and crammed into the other one were the limbs and the head. And so the couple, shaken, terrified, mostly traumatized, called the police. And while this was happening, Issei was basically running, hurtling through every street, tree, and just went home. He dashed home, and he silently cursed himself as to why the heck am I stupid to do this. And he... you'd think that he'd try to hide, but he didn't. He just basically stayed in his apartment, in his flat. And so back to the discovery of the body, it was taken to the mortuary, and... They were removed from the suitcases and assembled on an, on an autopsy table. Immediately, immediately, because it's very obvious, <laughs> immediately, noted by pathologists, there's a gunshot wound on the nape of the victim's neck, and it was sufficient to have caused her death. And also, they have noticed that portions of its flesh were missing. Texalizes have been cut from the buttocks and thighs, and the tip of the nose had also been removed. Fortunately, even if there are a lot of Asian-looking people in this country, I'm pretty sure. Basically, finding Issei was not that hard at all. Uh, they already know because of the couple that have watched Issei trying to throw the suitcases into the lake. They already know that they were looking for an Asian man standing around 160 centimeters tall. And he looks almost emaciated in appearance because at this time, Sagawa only weighed just around 35 kilograms. Which is like, I know of someone who is like very thin and she's around 45 kilograms. So I could not imagine how thin and emaciated Sagawa would look like at this time. But he's just 35 kilograms at this time. And they also know from the couple that have given their testimony that this man came out from a taxi. And so they started contacting all the taxi firms in Paris. To see if any of their drivers could recall picking up a little man with this with two heavy suitcases because they know that if they find a taxi driver this might be a very good prospect and lead for them so they could find the killer only after a few days of basically systematic checking they found a driver the driver came forward who remembered taking this ride and then he had been summoned to an apartment building to have his interrogation his interview and Issei let's go back to Issei he has been spending the last 48 hours in a paranoid state of flight wondering when he would be receiving the knock on his door he knows he knows that the police might soon enough knock on his door taxi driver remembered the apartment building that he went to and when the police looked at this apartment building there was only one Asian man residing in the building and Issei was renting one of the studio flats on the second floor. Naturally, the police were looking to talk to him. As they know that the suspect had access to a firearm because of the way Rene has died. And was capable of not only murder, but also like extensive mutilation, dismemberment, and 
I don't know if they already know this at this point, but also cannibalism, they were on their guard as they moved really along the front door of his studio flat. So the police knocked and they arrested him. It was just easy because he was just there. He never really left the studio flat. He was in a state of paranoia, but he's not trying to run away at all, which is good. I mean, fortunate for the police, <laughs> but it's just... I don't know what's coming, what's going through within his mind at this point. And so there's an excerpt that uh, the rest of Renee, the ones, the meat that he has cut off from her buttock thighs and wherever else he took out some human meat from. It was still in the refrigerator when the police came. And here is uh, Issei Sagawa saying in this interview once again, quote unquote, when I ate some more a couple of days later, just before I got arrested, the meat had become sweeter and it tasted great. The meat on the soles of her feet smelled bad though and didn't taste very nice. The neck was the best. The meat tastes more delicate as you move up the body, especially above the torso. Her tongue was delicious as well. I took it out of her mouth and chewed on it raw. Neither the neck nor the tongue has much meat on it though, so if you really want to feast, you should eat the thighs. And to everybody, please do not think of this <laughs> as a how-to cannibalize someone. No. It was just him basically saying it in an interview. And it's personally very gut-wrenching for me. In a not emotional, it's more of like, ugh, kind of gut-wrenching. So under arrest, now Issei Sagawa is under arrest. He gave like a lengthy confession regarding every aspect of the murder and whatever he has done on Renee. So he just, he just said it out loud, all of them. The police found him to be polite and kind of remorseful to a degree, not like seriously remorseful, though clearly he had killed for no other reason than for sexual pleasure. So that's what the police saw Issei Sagawa as. Sagawa explained how now, these days, when you interview him, he would explain now that he had committed, committed this murder, uh, but now that he have committed this murder, he would never have a need to repeat it on somebody else. He says that the demons had, that had driven him are gone, he claimed, and this one disgusting act had basically went away from him forever. The police were not so sure. I say bullshit as well. They had found a number of packaged pieces of Renee in the refrigerator, and knowing what this man had done, they fully intend to put him away. And they all noted, the police all noted how fluent Sagawa was. Uh, he was very quite prepared to talk at length about anything they asked. So he didn't really try to hide much. And he certainly did not appear insane. In the end, Issei Sagawa, but in the end, he was never brought to trial. He was never brought to trial. <sighs> so because, not unexpectedly, because I'm pretty sure... This is one of the very first things someone will bring up about the mental health issue because they think that someone who can do all of this would, shouldn't be mentally stable at all. And one of the first decisions made by examining Magistrate Louis Bruguer's Louis, I'll just call him Louis, is his first decisions was to board a plane for Japan so he could find out what had gone so terribly wrong in the background of Issei Sagawa. And he talked with Sagawa's family, his doctors, and the psychiatrist to whom Sagawa had confided the details of the attempted assault on the German girl. 
and despite many hours of conversations, it became clear to him that there would be no definitive answers to why Sagawa ended up becoming like this and managing to do something as brutal and heinous as this. And he even talked to those that were close to or had the opportunity to interact with Issei, but he could still not interpret how he had reached this point. Now comes in Akira Sagawa, Issei's father, who I have said would do anything to help his son. He is still a wealthy businessman. He flew to France and quickly secured a top lawyer to defend his son. Tomi, though, had a nervous breakdown. I feel so bad for Tomi, man. So the world's press at this time were very much at disbelief at how long this case was taking to get to trial because the press and I guess the general public that have been reading and uh, what is called following this story were expecting Issei to get to trial because he murdered somebody, he ate somebody, he confessed that he has done all of these things and so they were very much bewildered at the fact that why in the world are we still not in trial? In 1982, and this is almost two years after Renee's murder, the Judge Brugueres <laughs> announced that in his Judge Brugueres Louis, so Judge Louis announced that in his opinion, anybody who is prepared to kill and eat someone could not possibly be mentally sound. In fact, he declared that this basically is an act constituted by insanity. He believed that Sagawa had been suffering from advanced dementia and ordered him confined indefinitely to the Henry Collin Asylum for the Criminally Insane. And this is why Issei isn't brought to trial at all, because he's deemed to be insane. It was rumored that this happened, this kind of verdict happened, because Akira, Issei's father, bribed several court and mental health officials to find his son unfit to stand trial to keep him out of prison, which I believe is not something that just came out of nowhere. This is not a theory that came out of nowhere because we all know that Akira is prepared to do so many things to help his son and that the police thinks that Issei was very fluent, very stable and calm in the investigation and suddenly he is deemed insane. Because of this verdict, the press basically went into overdrive. It was a negative publicity basically for the French legal system and a lot of them are attacking the judge's decision because how could this killer Issei Sagawa who had killed and ate this young girl purely to satiate, satiate his own needs be not into trial at all and so that's what's happening in the outside world within the asylum though Sagawa was refusing to accept that he was mad at all he was utterly dejected because of this verdict he actually preferred prison than the asylum in which he found himself within. He deeply resented having to spend time with patients who were so clearly deranged in his eyes. And in an effort to understand himself, he made use of quiet periods and he really made a quasi-autobiography because he considered this therapeutic. And he never actually thought that anyone would want to read this. He is mistaken though. Because of the enormous public interest in this, in his case, this led to a visit from a celebrity, celebrated Japanese writer named Inihiko Yomota. And after several hours of conversation with Issei, he uh, agreed to share his memoirs with Yomota, so the autobiography he made. And afterwards, he later learned that 
he had become a published author because Yomota publishes memoirs and Sagawa was confounded and he felt betrayed because of this. Yomota had taken the book, he edited, they edited it and titled it In the Fog and sent it to his agent and this agent was, been, was very enthusiastic and wasted no time contacting a publisher and getting it into print. Remarkably, this book would make one of the one of the bestseller lists in Japan and as a result, Sagawa's initial feeling of betrayal at having his personal document blasted out to the world and to the rest of the country without being consulted was replaced with a quiet pride in his accomplishment which I am just feeling mm, I'm not feeling prideful <laughs> at all uh, in 1985, there's this popular French magazine called the Paris Match, and this magazine uh, has obtained one of the gruesome, obtained the gruesome crime scene photographs of Rene Hartwell's corpse, and shockingly, they published it, which is like assholeish, so dickish. Like, what the fuck? They published it in their magazine. It was tactless and very insensitive and this would lead to the arrest of one journalist and the seizure of a quarter of a million copies of the magazine which is good that is definitely what should have happened what the fuck <laughs> so this in conjunction with the further publicity that Issei Sagawa's book has made this led to another twist in this freaking case and this twist is that the French establishment the government had enough of Kiliese Sagawa's notoriety and infamous uh, status and he, the French wanted him out of the country they just don't want him within their country anymore and shortly thereafter Issei found himself being deported back to Japan <sighs> I'm so mad at this and very frustrated because when he was deported back to Japan he was a free man a free man and of course this initiated another media frenzy because he was a killer in france he was in the asylum because he was deemed insane and now he's going to japan where he is a free man and he is clearly a best-selling author which is absolutely ridiculous and just a what the fuck moment for me so as not to cause too uh too much outrage by simply letting him uh, out of the airport like somebody who just went out into a vacation he was then take he was first taken to Matsuzawa hospital there he voluntarily submitted to being placed in a private wing of the institution to be examined by doctors and there no one made him feel welcome good and the mental health professionals within this hospital found him to be sane stating that he did the murder because of sexual perversion alone and in other words they thought that he was very evil and they all unanimously agreed that he belonged to prison however as the french authorities for the french authorities they have done the case it's now sealed and shut and because of this the court papers are all sealed and the charges are all dropped they did not hand over documents to, J to the japanese authorities and that is why he could not Issei could not be legally detained in Japan. So he was literally a free man now that he is deported in Japan. And now in 1986, Issei was able to check himself out of the Tokyo hospital in Japan 
one year after he returned to his country and Billy just lived life as he wants to without any proper repercussions. Oh my gosh. So in his years of freedom since his the yes, his freedom since, Sagawa has experienced a level of notoriety ranging from perverse public intrigue intrigue to basically a minor celebrity which is making me feel very frustrated he has published novels he has inspired songs been the subject of countless documentaries and magazine articles and he even had exploitation films in which he reenacts he himself reenacts his own crime and he has drawn manga novels and even directed his own personal pornography which is named experiment and effectively he has made a living off his crime which i don't know if this transmits to the recording but i'm feeling very frustrated frustrated i'm in this certain level of frustration where i'm just wildly flailing my arms as i talk because this is such this ending poor renee poor renee <clears throat> so in this article in vice i think it is the author and the interviewer uh, says that in Issei's Greater Tokyo apartment, inside the door, there's a wall-mounted black balaclava that is hanging next to cabinets filled with gargoyle-like statuettes. There's classic literature and trinkets collected over decades of travels. And in these decades of travels, often with young girls, is met under dubious circumstances. There are chairs piled high with stuffed children's toys. His room is basically like a 14-year-old boy's adorned with countless images of young girls. Some of these images were painted by himself, some taken from celebrity magazines. And as I read the fact that he has traveled in the past decades, I feel sad because Renee cannot travel anymore because she's dead. Uh, <laughs> So he very much loved the fact that he has this certain notoriety and he really accepted a lot of interviews. He even had this one magazine interview where, it's, where it featured him with a glossy illustration showing him being relaxed, sitting at the dining table, gazing at the camera, chopstick in hand, looking like he was going to eat some meat, which is absolutely disgusting. So the picture even appeared on the magazine's gourmet page. His interviewer of, in this magazine asked whether he enjoyed cooking and he replied with, Just that one time. Just that one time. <laughs> ha ha ha. And when he was asked to comment on a fellow Japanese cannibal, which is Tutomu Miyazaki, I'm thinking of covering this guy as well, but because I'm being very much frustrated with Issei's case, I'll probably push off Tutomu's case somewhere else in the far future. And Tutomu Miyazaki had slain and eaten four people, so a serial killer. Sagawa expressed distaste, Tutomu's evident need to repeat his first killing, reiterating how because he had been so sickened by the, the reality of his own crime he could never have considered reoffending, which i'm still not keen on believing uh and he even appeared uh, in a porno <laughs> uh, and this is hisayasu sato's porno film uwakizuma chijokuzeme 
which is unfaithful wife, shameful torture, and in this porn, he is a sado, sadosexual voyeur. The more I scroll down on my notes, the more absolutely frustrated and icky I feel. He also wrote a weekly column for a tabloid publication. He edited an anthology of cannibal fantasies, what the fuck, and was featured on the cover of a Japanese gourmet magazine, as I have said. Under an assumed name, he even managed to get women to post nude for him. He's just a pervert, I'm saying. On his website, because he, apparently he has a website, he offers excerpts from his rendition of his crime and discusses why cannibalism is not such a horrific act. For those who want to see his art, he shows examples of his paintings. Mostly of them are just fleshy buttocks of white females. Nowadays, he could no longer find publishers for his writing, good, and he has struggled to find employment. Sagawa was apparently nearly accepted, accepted by a French language school because the manager was impressed by his courage in using his real name. But the employees protested and he was rejected. <laughs> what the fuck? So when Sagawa's parents died, he was prevented from attending their funeral and he moved into public housing. Sagawa received welfare benefits for a time. And so uh, people were very much caught curious as to what he thinks about cannibalism and murder would he do this again and he said that he doesn't want to do it again he said in an interview quote unquote this must sound rich coming from me yes yes it is but the moment the girl became a corpse i realized that i had lost an important friend and even regretted killing her for a moment what i truly wished was to eat her living flesh nobody believes me but my ultimate intention was to eat her not necessarily to kill her. To this day, I still think, if only she had let me taste her, just a little bit. If we had spent another evening having, having dinner and chatting about our families, I never would have been able to kill her. In other words, I can't project my fantasies onto somebody who is already personified in my mind. That's why my first candidates were all prostitutes. I had a lot of other female friends as well. But I would never have dreamed of eating them since I considered them human beings with their own individual personalities. People tell me that I killed her because I loved her. But why would I kill and eat someone who I truly loved? It's simply a fetish. <laughs> Besides, I only wanted to bite into her and have a little taste, rather than actually consuming the meat. Of course, I still have the sexual appetite of wanting to eat a beautiful woman's body. For example, if a normal man fancied a girl, he'd naturally feel a desire to see her as often as possible, to be close to her, to smell her and kiss her, right? To me, eating is just an extension of that. Obviously, the general public doesn't understand. But the thing is, sure I want to eat the girl, but I don't necessarily want to kill her in the process. Once she's dead, she is merely a corpse, a thing. If possible, I'd like to eat her alive. And when asked if he has these cannibalistic urges he said yes the desire to eat people becomes so intense around june because it's summer there and women start wearing less and showing more skin and that makes me think that the reason why he's not killing anymore is mostly because of self-preservation and not because he doesn't want to do it anymore because he's very blatant in saying that yeah sure i see someone they're showing skin and i want to eat them like where do we put the line into this guy is a danger to society and when he is not or it's 
It's just me feeling like this because I want him to feel the repercussions of the crime that he just did. Because he didn't. He keeps saying that he did because he said that uh, the life of notoriety isn't really good because people don't want to employ me. Money is hard and all of that stuff. And But he's not, he's not behind bars. He's not like literally really... Uh, I don't know. I'm feeling so conflicted, frustrated. And in yet another magazine article, because he just loves the interviews, he says said that now he has fantasies about being eaten himself, and he is eaten by a young, attractive Western lady. His interpretation of this is that this is the only thing that can truly save to save the blah, blah blah. This is the only thing that can truly save him from what he refers to as the beast dormant inside him. Makes me think that he can he can kill and do this all over again if he is like capable of it but i don't think he is nowadays because in november 2013 he suffered a cerebral hemorrhage and now he requires assistance which is provided by a caregiver or sagawa's younger brother he is now wheelchair bound and he lives with his brother outside tokyo and but he still responds to media requests for interviews and that's where my notes ends on isei sagawa's in this case, there's no proper repercussions for Renee or her family. And just, you know, because I've seen like a video of his interview and I could li put the link down in the end notes. I suppose it's the Vice interview, but he's just so calm. It fills me with like this silent seething frustration and rage to see him so calm and he even enacted his crimes and what happened that day and stuff and he's just very calm and collected talking about what he did to a kind warm friendly young girl you know it, it makes me feel just frustrated and yeah i try to not put too much of my own uh, inclinations or just too much opinions within a case though i know i'm <laughs> I'm very much failing to do that in a lot of true crime cases, but this is like one of these cases where I'm, I feel emotionally, emotional in a frustration, uh, ragey way. And so I'll end this here because I'm aware that I have been rambling, <laughs> as I always do when the cases and the episodes end. And so now that I'm gonna end it here, there's a hint, hint, hint on what the next episode would and the hint would be something easy if you're aware of what this place is and uh, the hint would be give Annie a doll would you there you go if you're familiar on that place you'll probably know what it is because it's a pretty easy hint and so that's the hint for next week and next week will be a paranormal slash historical episode because I love the history behind places and I'm basically starting to use the paranormal episodes as an excuse to delve into history but don't worry i'm not going to delve too deep into the history but i just like seeing the backgrounds of the places we cover you know and so yep uh, this will be the end of this episode uh i'm still feeling a little mind scrambled because i think the vaccine is still making me feel very tired and so i'm feeling a little woozy my throat is a little sore but we're pushing on 
Uh, so, yep, if you have any stories that you want me to cover, any stories that you want me to actually say in this podcast, if you have any experiences with crime, paranormal, and all of those spooky, creepy, scary stuff, you can send me an email at macabramblings at gmail.com. You could also DM me at Instagram at macabramblingspodcast. I also have Twitter. You could also contact me there, and it's at macarambles, which is M-A-C-A rambles, and that's about it. Eat good food, drink and always hydrate, get some good rest if you everybody needs a break. It's a good to have some me time. Meditation, if it works for you, it doesn't really work much for me, but if meditation works for you, 15 minutes would do you good. And that's about it. Stay spooky, everybody, and stay safe. Always, always stay safe. Bye-bye, and see you next Sunday.